Welcome everyone to another episode of O2 and You. I'm your host, David Garbett. Joining me this week, Sean Teigen, Research Director at Utah Foundation. Uh, Sean, welcome. Today we're talking about a climate report that Sean and the Utah Foundation put out recently. And um, in a nutshell, what implications does climate change have for Utah and for its economy? Yeah. Um, John, first of all, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. There's a phrase, uh, I think it's a Latin phrase, noblesse oblige, the nobility in me realizes, requires that I recognize that mustache <laughs> on you, if I can paraphrase. It's really good to have the mustache discussion here. Um, we also learn not only dual mustaches, but we're on the same block having this conversation in on the internet, the interwebs. Um, <laughs> Sean, I want to have you here. Thank you so much. Well, uh, let's see. Before we talk about the report, why don't you tell us a little bit about Utah Foundation? You're out there quietly doing a lot of really good work, interesting research. I don't know if everybody knows uh, who you are and what you do. Can you tell us a little bit about the organization? We are, I think we are quietly doing some work. We've, we've been around for three quarters of a century, but we've been doing, uh, you know, research on a whole host of different topics as a nonpartisan, non-profit uh, uh, public policy research group. Uh, we, we started uh, after World War II looking at taxation and trying to figure out like, how are we gonna handle kind of the, the transition away from this wartime economy? And we've been working on a whole host of issues since then from, you know, environmental issues to economic issues to, to job to education and the, the everything in between and beyond. Cool. I didn't realize you've been around that long. It's been a long, long time. And I have yeah. been with this organization longer than I'd been with any organization before, in part because it's awesome. It's a, it's a, it's fun to work on this kind of stuff and just study different issues. And, and this, uh, you know, climate change economy, this new climate economy uh, was, it's, it's, somewhat new uh, for me. So I, I learned a lot along the way and hopefully have imparted a little bit of that uh, knowledge to you know the rest of the state, people across the state. Yeah, but tell us about your background. How did you end up there? What, uh, what were you doing previously? Yeah, so, you know, I've, I've done a whole bunch of different stuff. I, I was kind of wrapped up in the business world uh, for a while, and then I decided for a change and I did a little bit with the, uh, the Peace Corps and kind of changed, decided to shift my focus a little bit after that and, and got into housing and homelessness and policy in general and, and did a little bit of lobbying and, and some advocacy stuff. And then uh, I kind of love this, this ground where you, you don't have to uh, uh, deal with uh, policymakers <laughs> too much, um, and and just kind of study the issues and and hopefully you know provide people with the kinds of conversations uh, that that and, and the information so they can have conversations with people at, at the dinner table or at the office or on the street and, and be a little bit informed about some of these decisions. Yeah, uh, and I know that frequently your uh, the Utah Foundation's research is certainly hear it from policymakers that they've. They see it, they notice it, they think about it. Um, so it is, uh, I think it's helpful to our state, helpful to people generally to have the sort of information you're putting out. And, and we work hard uh, to be nonpartisan. Uh, you know, 
we try as much as we can, and I think we have a, a in the office a little bit of a balance uh, and, and you know, a little bit of a tightrope walk to do. And and uh, not everybody sees us as nonpartisan. Like we release a report on on some pro, um, on something or other, and, and somebody on some side of the political spectrum gets mad at us, and then we release something else, and then it's the other side that gets mad at us. And so it's it's good to make everybody a little angry. I think. You know, it's funny you say that because I was going to say putting out great reports, with one exception. The report that Utah Foundation did on the um, the effort to try and transfer federal public lands, I thought, yeah, one was a little. Right. You came up a little <laughs> short on that. So if that helps with your bona fides on the uh, nonpartisanship, my you know, criticism, you're welcome. I, I think it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting you say that, but at the same time, uh, what is what is what was it? Ken Ivory. Um, was also mad about everybody was mad about that report at the end of the day and we we actually I, we, at one point we felt like it was a too too much making an argument kind of against that transfer of public lands and so I, we searched for some a few things that like to make it more balanced and it's like you know there is no real we we basically felt like we laid out both sides of the the argument uh relatively well but enough to make everybody a little bit mad yeah well, and that's, you know, that's the one where I would say, I clearly you were trying to do that, give both sides, but it was like, you know, if somebody was trying to understand that argument, what I would want to say is like, here's the room full of legal scholars who would all say, right. here's the law <laughs> <Right>. this way. <laughs> right. And you track down like the only two people that thought it was differently uh, right. <laughs> to present their view. So yeah, it's possible. Yeah. We, we give sometimes too much of a voice to those kind of outliers. Uh, but we, you know, we, like it, like I said, though, we, we do what we can to try to uh, maintain that balance. But we're not here for that today. Today, <laughs> let's talk about your your climate report, which I thought was really, yeah. it's got so much in there. So we've got a lot to go through. But uh, why don't you introduce it a little bit, tell people about this report that the Utah Foundation just released. You know, there's a lot in there. There's we have a lot of sources, not as many sources as the the recent IPCC report, but we've got a lot of a lot of sources, a lot of pages covering a lot of ground. Very and, well footnoted. And, Very well footnoted. And, and I and I hope that we didn't get. You know, honestly, we could have written a paper like this about uh, forty of the different issues that that are in this report. So I mean, even though it's long and and, and maybe we've got some footnotes in there, it's it, we could have gone much much. Uh, further uh, in, in terms of uh, covering the ground, but but this is the, the new climate economy. So it's 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 basically it's not saying hey is climate change happening or not. I mean that that is laid out clearly in the in the uh, IPCC report that was released after this that, that what is it intergovernmental panel on climate change report that was released after our report. Um, uh, uh, but. Uh, basically, what we're trying to talk about in, in terms of, of this new climate economy is you know so climate change is you know becoming more widely accepted uh, things are going to happen um, because of climate change and some of those things are you know federal regulation uh, a lot of market forces a lot of consumer demand um, you know things are things are happening what is something that Utah can do to like play its role in terms of of, of uh, like mitigation and adaption through this climate change issue? What are some things that we can do to like play our part in reducing uh, climate emissions? But at the same time, you know, like 
get a piece of the pie in terms of uh, some of the new development that can happen. And, and that's with maybe the, the clearest, easiest one is renewable energy development. And, and there are a whole bunch of other ones. And so we talk about all these issues related to a whole bunch of different sectors including natural resources and we talk about land and, and we talk about transportation and we talk about what else you talk about um, industry and then energy production uh, and, and a lot about energy efficiency because that's really a big part of this um, and then a little bit a little bit about the federal government and, and, and kind of where maybe we should be considering uh, taking uh, taking our part in terms of some federal action uh, that will really move the needle more uh, you know across the nation and across the world than, than anything that uh, our little tiny state of Utah can do yeah so let's talk about let's start there um you know, whether uh, I'm a climate change skeptic or I accept science, uh, right. how does the future that's becoming more clear about responses as well as potential impacts weather-wise from climate change, so what? Why does it matter here in Utah? How does it affect us? What did you find in your report? You know, um, so, there are things that are happening with, even if we're skeptical, there are things that we can see clearly that are happening in, in, in Utah with respect to climate change. And so there, you know, we've got drought issues, of course, and we've got increasing temperatures. So some of the greatest, the biggest increase in temperatures in the U.S. are, are you know, in our state. I mean, we're experiencing some of those. Uh, you found right double the rate of, of warming in Utah compared to the national average in your report, yeah, it, I think, was one of the interesting stats. And you see, and, and uh, central eastern U.S. and uh, uh, Utah and central western uh, Colorado see some of the highest. It's one of the biggest pockets of that of that big increase uh, in the U.S. So, so you see that, and you see snowpack uh, that's decreasing. You see smaller, you know, uh, these snow winter seasons. Uh, there's of course wildfires and and. I kind of feel like we dodged a bullet on the wildfires this year. I mean, there was a time, I think, when we released this report, uh, we had less soil moisture. And we've only been checking this for the last 15 years or so, but in terms of soil moisture, it was the lowest point that uh, since uh, we started uh, checking it. But then, you know, mm. we had two major rainfalls, and suddenly it's like, oh, well, soil moisture is all right, and maybe that's going to help. Uh, we'll dodge it here, down. but we all, we all we suffered the consequences <laughs> breathing it this yeah. summer, didn't we? Yeah. And, and we may not have dodged it completely. I mean, who knows? I mean, fire seasons are now whenever the heck they're going to happen and not just when, you know, they've been uh, kind of typically in the past, uh, particularly in California and, and places around the world. Um, so we've got all these things. We, we may not have, we, we may not have to be worried as much about hurricanes and, and whatnot, but we do have to be worried about, you know, some of the costs of these things. So uh, we've got costs of these, of these, you know, big disasters and, 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 you know, just in terms of snowpack, I mean, that really is a, a big source of our water. I mean, you look at, uh, I know that you talked uh, recently about uh, the Great Salt Lake on your program. Uh, and, and how we're going to be, we're the lowest we've ever been. And, and, and you look at Lake Powell and it's like, what the heck is going on Lake Powell and, and reservoirs across the state? I mean, they're really low. I mean, what's going to happen if we don't get the snowpack that we need this year? And what's going to happen if this drought, this drought that's been going on pretty much nonstop since 2000 continues on for another year? Or two? So there are all these concerns about this kind of stuff, but, but ultimately, like, what are the things that we can do maybe to, to, to reduce our our kind of uh, emissions here in Utah, we're like 19th uh, uh, highest in terms of, of per capita emissions across the US. Uh, uh, 
are there some things we can do to, to do our part to, to reduce that? But also, uh, like I said earlier, uh, maybe make sure we, we uh, can incentivize that some of that, um, some of the market forces, some of the financial sector investment, and some of this federal investment uh, comes toward us to support our economy, particularly uh, maybe those those areas that are, are going to be uh, impacted the most by the, uh, the kind of forces away from uh, coal in terms of energy generation. So if you look at we, we in Utah, uh, most of our energy comes uh, from coal still, um, unlike the rest of the US. Uh, but, uh, you know, as that decreases more and more, uh, you're going to see some impacts in, in a few communities. It's not a lot of jobs when you look at the jobs across the state, but it's it's a lot of jobs in a few communities. And is there something we can do uh, to help those communities a bit? Let's talk about that one a little bit. Um, really interesting stat, I think, from your report. I, I knew these numbers for I had a rough estimate for Utah, but to see this nationwide, you have something in there saying that three quarters of all coal plants in the United States right now would be cheaper today to close those and switch over to build and then operate uh, renewable power. It's um, renewable. I mean, solar is so cheap. And that, the, it, the, maybe the expensive part of that still is, is the battery, but we're actually doing some crazy innovative stuff in Utah uh, that, that maybe doesn't rely upon lithium uh, storage as much. And we can, we can move towards some other things that are a little bit cheaper and, and, and kind of tackle that, uh, that battery uh, what, issue. Yeah, tell us about that. I just happened to be driving by IPP the other day. Yeah, um, yeah. Anything interesting on that front in energy storage? There's so much going on around Delta, Utah. I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty awesome. I, I think that, so there's a massive, pretty phenomenal coal plant down there that's been powering uh, a lot of Southern California for a long time, uh, since the uh, mid-1980s. Uh, and, it, and it's a good plant, you know, it's, it's in pretty good, uh, pretty good shape, but Southern California is like, ah, we don't want that. So they're, they're building some, some uh, gas turbines down there. Uh, and, and with that natural, it's, it's gonna be powered mostly by natural gas, but there's gonna be a mixture of green hydrogen uh, that, that helps uh, uh, turn those turbines and generates electricity for Southern California and a few other places. Uh, and, and that's going to, the, the, the idea is to keep on putting more and more uh, green hydrogen in that. And some of that green hydrogen is going to be stored right down there. Um, the organization called Magnum has, has some salt domes and you can drill a big hole uh, in, in the salt and store a bunch of of, of green hydrogen in there and then use that green hydrogen for the plant. But you can also, they're exploring some ways of drilling a big hole in there and and like when the sun is shining and when the wind is blowing, using that kind of excess capacity to really put some compressed air inside these salt domes and then release it when the sun goes down or when the wind stops blowing. So you've got this massive battery uh, that can then uh, release and turn a turbine so you're generating electricity all the time. I mean, so that's that's something that's going on. There's a lot of stuff going on down there. Um, and that green hydrogen is basically just, hydrogen takes a lot of electricity uh, to, to create it. So one way to, to make it green is to use solar and wind and, and other uh, renewables to, to, to make that hydrogen green. This other, I, I'm so excited about this other project though. I just got to mention this real quick too. Down, so that on the Navajo Nation, you've got this this idea for this pump storage uh, project that just received approval. And the idea is you, you take a, a bunch of water, pump it up to the top of a, of a mountain, um, and uh, and you use uh, renewables to do that. And then 
when the wind quits blowing or when the wind, sun quits shining, uh, release that water back down and you get this gravitational force that is then turning turbine and creating a lot of electricity. So you've got this mat, this massive battery uh, right there. And, and there's, there's, you know, there's, there are negative ramifications to all this stuff, to all, you know, development everywhere. But if you can do it right, you can do it uh, in, in a way that, that has some really long-term benefits for, for Utah and the nation and the world. I mean, I, I think that, that this, there's, there's, there's some really good potential there. And this is the largest pump storage, this thing in the Navajo Nation in the United States. It's, it's, uh, it's something that's, it's something that's being used uh, some other places at this time, but, but this could be a, one of the game changers in terms of, of renewable and storage. It's, I like that you flagged that because, you know, Utah is in a bit of a crossroads, as we like to say crossroads of the West. And we know we have that in transportation. We have that in electrical transmission as well. And, uh, you know, a few comments on the direction of electrical markets. One, I don't think people have realized how quickly uh, renewables, both wind and solar in particular, have fallen in price. And it now looks like battery storage will follow that trend. But uh, one of the features of that is, we won't go into those details here, but in electrical markets, um, if, if you are purchasing power in the middle of the day, if renewables, um, if the sun's shining or the wind's blowing, the power becomes essentially free. And I think we're on the cusp of seeing kind of reactions to that and people realizing, for example, at one in the day, one in the afternoon, two in the afternoon, California will have more um, electricity from, from solar than it will know what to do with. It's almost free, that power. If I can find a use, so through storage or some industrial application to take advantage of these fluctuations in power, I think you could really see some um, some interesting changes in our economy. And, and charging uh, your car, you charge your, you, you, you yeah. plug everybody's car in at that point, and you're like, oh, there's some some extra pretty free, close to free fuel for your uh, vehicle transportation. Yeah, somewhere somebody out there is listening to this, and they just finished an economics class, and we can just say because of the marginal cost of renewables, that's part of the reason why this <laughs> happens. But for the rest of you, forget I said that. Um, <laughs> Sean, on the coal front, uh, yeah. the Biden administration has been working in Congress to, to try and pass a, a, a package of spending and different infrastructure investments. And one of the key things in there is a federal standard for electricity um, with a target of getting to 80%, uh, we'll say, low to zero carbon fuels essentially renewables by 2030. Rocky Mountain Power, one of the older, dirt, dirtier fleets in the country, how would that affect Utah, you know, based on what you looked at in your report, um, if, that, if the Biden administration does end up succeeding in enacting that standard? You know, uh, Utah's right now, Utah's one of 20 states that doesn't have a clean energy mandate of some sort. And then in a lot of those states that do not have clean energy mandates actually have, have, have uh, utilities that do have uh, some, uh, some uh, clean energy mandate. So, uh, you know, it would affect Utah in, insofar as we've got some plants. It may speed up either the uh, decommissioning of some coal plants or it might speed up some, uh, you know, 
enhance carbon sequestration efforts. Uh, but if you look at the, the new development that is expected, this is a state report, look at new development of energy over the, over the next uh, 20 or so years, um, you see that, that almost all of that is renewable. I mean, we're focusing on renewable. I mean, you, you brought up that, that, you know, that solar is cheap. Um, wind is is cheap and isn't decreasing in cost quite as fast as solar is, um, but uh, battery battery storage is is coming down in price, um, and we've actually underestimated um, uh, the amount of additional wind and solar. Um, every year we we come out with this estimate. So five years from now, we think we'll be developing this much. It's like. We're always short because it's like, oh my goodness, how did it get this cheap, this fast, and and how can you keep getting it cheaper and cheaper? And so, I'm I not just want to emphasize that it is astounding. Like time and time again, you can go look at forecasts from the the best experts, the most knowledgeable, always saying like, well, it's gonna, you know, these are gonna drop in price and it's gonna happen fast. And the actual pace has outstripped all of those. It really is kind of the remarkable bright spot on the climate front. I mean, you look at cars. Also, you look at cars as well. And 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 in 2030, like people right now say, "Oh, I'd like an electric car, but they're so kind of expensive, and the credit for the one that I want is gone, and the, and so maybe I'm not going to do it at this point." In 2030, either um, you're going to get a car with a battery that is absolutely ridiculous and you're going to be able to drive, you know, you'll get a thousand miles on a charge or whatever the heck, or you're going to see that the car is a lot cheaper than any internal combustion vehicle uh, on the market. I mean, you're, it's, it's just becoming, you're going to see cost parity, price parity. Um, some people suggest that it's happening like, like within a couple of years. Uh, some people say 2025, you're going to see this price parity. So that, that, that's coming down in price. I mean, you look at like, you, you brought up Rocky Mountain Power. Um, for the projects that they're uh, looking at for the coming year, uh, four, I think it's four of the 19, I think, are 100% renewable projects. And, and, and looking at what we, is in Utah, I brought this up just a moment ago, in Utah, I expect to see um, by 2040, I think it's something like 85% to 90% of that is expected to be renewable or storage. The rest is gas. Nobody's doing anything in coal because coal is too expensive. It doesn't make any sense to do coal. Nuclear is, is really expensive, but this is something that we bring up in the report. It's it's also expensive. There are some folks that are looking at ways to, to bring down the cost of that. Um, there's there's uh, you don't have to worry about the storage issue with nuclear. Um, you have to worry about the energy storage afterwards, and that's that's uh, one of the with a lot of environmental groups. That's one of the big uh, stumbling blocks. Also, and with a lot of groups, it's just the, the cost. I mean, it's really expensive to do nuclear stuff. Uh, and in fact, there was just a, a, a big plant uh, closed uh, in, uh, somewhere in New York or New Jersey. Mm. One, of, one of the two in the, in the it was it was in New York State um, in the last uh, couple of months, and it closed basically because of costs. It's like no, this is just, just too expensive at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, people are looking at ways to, uh, to bring that price down too. And that's with some modular programs that, that uh, some investors and communities are, are looking at in, in Utah and, and maybe developing in Idaho. Uh, one thing I wanted to, I'm just looking at my notes for <coughs> what I had jotted down. You call for a Utah office uh, specifically focused on climate change. So new government entity, why? Why do you think that's important? You know, we talked about, a, you, you talked about Biden's energy mandate. I mean, uh, an office or a commission could, could be, you know, this really uh, educated body 
um, that maybe is is uh, looking at some sort of a mandate. It's a it's a group that can look at some of those communities um, that are going to be most impacted by the closure of of uh, more and more. Uh, coal plants and, and look to see what are the best ways uh, to to support some of those communities, whether that be you know tourism infrastructure, education, uh, broadband for 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 most more remote working, all, all sorts of things that, that are possibilities there, and then just you know. Uh, 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 transfer funds, like maybe there's uh, some support that we, we could provide to some of those communities. Um, uh, but this a group could also do something that, that like some some states are looking at transmission authorities, and, and if there's a way to 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 create the transmission infrastructure across the state, particularly in some of those communities um, that uh, don't have a transmission capacity right now, so you you can't just go to some of these communities uh, that are that are cold counties and say, hey. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna put in a bunch of solar uh, power because you got to tie it in somewhere so you can send that electricity somewhere. Uh, we talked about Delta um, uh, a little bit earlier, and, and there's massive amounts of transmission uh, room down there, and there's more expected with this big transmission thing that's sending a bunch of wind uh, from Wyoming um, uh, down to different parts of the state that will also go through there. There's a ton of opportunity for a ton of wind and a ton of solar um, uh, down there, but there are some communities that would be left behind. So maybe there's something you could, you could do uh, with that. But also, you know, just just working through some of these things and 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 uh, some of the other things that we talk about, such as uh, uh, home energy efficiency and transportation um, and and technological development, and if and if an office or commission could help. Kind of foster some of these things that you know in some ways we're doing well already and in other ways we could improve a little bit um that we could we could see some big benefits here in utah yeah I, that transmission one is I, I think immediately everybody starts to snooze and sounds so boring but that oh, man, transmission it's so important. <laughs> is so important it is such yeah. a key and and it, the way that yeah, the, the, there's just is not that planning and the infrastructure to deliver some of those resources that we have in, in different places in Utah to where the power is needed and without it, and some it, planning on that front. And a commissioner office could maybe use a little bit of, of public funds, but it could also help uh, kind of direct some of these private funds uh, to these communities and, and really create some collaboration across communities and get and get some of this uh, uh, development. They, one thing that we talked about in this report that I think is important is, is that it, you don't need to just uh, develop uh, renewable to get to some of your goals. I mean, it, we, we talk a lot about energy efficiency because energy efficiency is enormous. I mean, that is uh, really uh, both, you know, in homes and in cars um, and and mm. in businesses. I mean, it's such a big thing. And energy efficiency, it, it uses a lot of, it uses a lot of people to do some of this stuff. Um, and uh, it can be done anywhere where there's a building or a house or, a, you know, you don't need to uh, build a big transmission line uh, to uh, Richfield, uh, for instance, to, to uh, get some good energy efficiency jobs in Richfield. You can, you can employ some other methods. You had that early on in your report talking about how the United States really is decoupled uh, economic growth from uh, emissions. Yeah. And that fascinating stat that to the energy that we've saved since what was it 1990? Um, so what we've done through energy efficiency, uh, if we hadn't done that, we'd essentially need 300 coal-fired power plants to produce that energy. And the U.S. only has 250 right now. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, I get that stat right. 
Yeah, you got that. That's exactly right. That's yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal, and and there's a lot more we can do in terms of energy efficiency. And like I said, uh, you know, uh, electrifying homes is is a big possibility, but just making homes uh, more energy efficient, um, and then cars. Uh, and and if you can charge those cars, like you said, you know, or or like I said, like one of us said, um, in the middle of the day when when uh, the sun is shining, either plugging in and um, at your house and using your solar panels, or plugging in in downtown and using a, a larger solar array that's off the Wasatch Front or or wherever, it's, it it could be a, a real benefit. So, Sean, and you know, you could tell me if I'm getting you into an area of political trouble, but. The Utah Foundation did this report. You've also done a report on transitions in some of our coal dominant re and uh, fossil fuel dominant counties. Uh, I, I thought there was a good report recently that talked about the way that Utah's counties and Utah has used community impact funds. So this portion of mineral lease revenues. So when the federal government uh, opens up public lands, either for coal mining, for oil and gas development, they collect royalties on that. And then if but most so much of those royalties they just turn around and give back to the state uh, essentially 50 percent part of that is essentially intended for community impacts and theory would be there to say look we know that this is a this is a transitory resource use these funds for education use these funds to deal with those impacts instead utah has tended to use them to facilitate more of that development almost approaching it like an RDA and development, you know, where cities are saying, we need more housing, we're going to try and facilitate and help it. I think they've taken that same approach to community impact funds and said, well, what can we do to get more resource development, more extraction instead of using this huge pot of money that we have to ensure that our residents are ready for a transition? Um, is there something that could be done to get Utah to start to see those funds differently and invest in these communities and invest? Like, I mean, the, the stats that you've laid out on coal, pretty sobering, it's pretty clear what direction we're headed, whether we like it or not. Uh, so an available source of funds today, how can we get those actually invested in helping communities with transitions? Yeah, you you know national mining groups and coal groups know that the writing's on the wall. So I mean, there's just no there's 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 little future for that sort of uh, coal-centered uh, energy production in, in the future. Um, but I, I think that that again, going back to a a Utah State Commission um, or office that focuses really on these issues and and can help kind of coordinate and help. Uh, you know, bring uh, uh, groups along to really understand where maybe some of the funding um, can be most beneficial long term uh, for you know for all the counties that are that are affected. Uh, I, I think is I think that's an important step. And you know, like in terms of uh, we we talked about this a lot in that in that uh, coal community series uh, from a few years back. I think that they're you know ultimately going to do. What they want to do, and and they get support from from you know the legislature in, in terms of thinking you know we got to do something to help these counties in some ways. But there is, I think, there's something to be said for for really a a a focus, 
at a state level group uh, that that brings in people. For, I mean, we, if you look at the at the Utah roadmap and, and look at that, what they recommend in terms of decreasing carbon emissions and and uh, some of the things we need to do, you know, there's you get people uh, talking around these issues and you can, and you can you know break down some silos and really uh, I think bring people along into a certain direction. I think that there's a possibility of doing something like that if we had a a, a focus from like a, a commission on climate change. Continuing on this theme of maybe um, policy moving forward, you have an interesting section on there in there on uh, uh, distributed generation, yeah. code word for you know, producing power in our neighborhoods. And really this is so much about rooftop solar, um, particularly as people have rooftop solar coupled with an electric vehicle or rooftop solar coupled with batteries in their homes um, can become a very effective tool, very helpful for communities. Maybe let me just give people an example because I think this is one that, you know, we throw out a lot of terms. What does that actually mean? You know, so many communities, I was just looking at how Bountiful structures its um, electricity system and they have power that they purchase. Actually, the uh, big chunk of their power comes from uh, Glen Canyon Dam. So they have this reliable block of power that they get that feeds much, if not most of their needs. And then depending on the time of day, depending on the year, sometimes you have these fluctuations. And so you have to go in search of other sources. And one way that they do that is they turn on these generators, natural gas generators in Bountiful. Um, you know, some downsides, you've got this source of air pollution right in your community, in a community that's downwind of uh, some of our biggest smokestacks in the entire state, the refineries. Imagine if instead of having to turn that on, if you had 10% of the homes in your neighborhood that had solar, and then that solar was connected to a battery or connected to a car, and uh, the Bountiful City Power and Light had access to those batteries and to those, uh, those electric vehicles and could say, look, we know we're going to have a spike here. We've worked out an arrangement beforehand where we can come and grab that power from these batteries. We don't have to run a generator. We are able to pay, you know, we can give some compensation to these residents and we solve a few different problems thanks to this distributed system. Um, how do we incentivize that to happen in Utah? Because it seems like a, a big benefit. We know Rocky Mountain Power is not a big fan of rooftop solar individually. How do you get them to incentive how do you incentivize them to be interested in this distributed system that, that's a great question i mean we currently we're disincentivized i guess in, in many ways but um rocky mountain power for instance is thinking big like that they supported a project in uh the southern part of of salt lake county it's just massive development massive number of solar panels a ton of every every unit um, every condo or apartment unit, they all have uh, this big battery. And the reason why Rocky Mountain Power supported that is because you've got, just like you're saying, this little generation facility right there. It's like, we can either do that or we can build some generation, you know, uh, either on the Wasatch Front or elsewhere to get, get the electricity here that we need. Uh, but they've got, the, and, and it penciled out. It made, it was a, it's a smart investment for them. They're like, we can give a, we can give this, 
big developer a little bit of money to create or have a storage capacity for an enormous amount of electricity. Um, and then when there is a shortage, if there's a uh, you know, particularly a hot day and people are running their air conditioner at eight o'clock at night. Um, they're drawing from that as part of this uh, part of this deal so that they can uh, uh, generate uh, uh, power, uh, not generate, it's already been generated, but draw power for the surrounding community uh, from this uh, from this big setup. I mean, I, I think that's kind of what they're, they're interested, I think, in some of those types of big uh, programs. They're not as interested, they don't have as much to gain from, you know, uh, David Garbat having uh, solar panels on his roof and 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 they feel um they make an argument uh uh there's a, another there's a counter argument but they make an argument that 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 actually costs them money because of infrastructure and whatnot so um but and 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 so they have been disincentivizing uh the development of this of solar over time there's a way that the state could could counter that and and say you know what i know that maybe you haven't been incentivized so we're going to give you a uh, good solar power credit uh, to to kind of get over the hurdle uh, of, of the initial investment, uh, but. Yeah, yeah I we'll think, see. you know, electrical markets from a theoretical perspective, especially where we have this vertically integrated monopoly by that, I just mean uh, a producer who or an electric uh, utility that generates the power, transits the power and then delivers it in a grid. Cause in some places they've separated that out, but where we have all that together, sometimes you're at risk of the worst of both worlds because you have a non-competitive market, a monopoly, um, but instead of having this overseen by uh, government or ha having it run by a government entity where you can weigh some other public interests in the balance with um, just the delivery of electricity, things like what we've talked about, like air quality, climate targets. We have a bit of a hands-off approach, so we don't get either of those. Um, Love to see a bit more of an active role in thinking about and shaping policy, just like you talked about in terms of energy targets. Yeah. Uh, the possibility of energy targets here is a proxy to do that to help bring in some of these other interests that we have. Um, any last words on this? Anything that we haven't discussed in the report that you think is important to mention to people? You know, there, there's, I guess, ultimately, the, the world is moving along in a certain direction. And you can kind of be resistant to that movement. And that movement is in terms of, you know, becoming uh, more of a more of a steward of, of the earth in terms of our greenhouse gas emissions. Even though, you know, we, we still jump on planes and we still drive everywhere we go. And we still, we're, we're still too cold. And so I'm gonna turn up my thermostat or it's too hot, I'm gonna turn down my thermostat or whatever. Uh, but, but I think that, that uh, there are some things that, that Utah and, and our communities can do to, to uh, really move along with uh, the U.S. and with investment and and do some pretty significant things in terms of lowering greenhouse gas emissions, we can be seen as a leader in terms of of some of this stuff. In part because of these projects like this one on the Navajo Nation, this big pump storage, and in part uh, because we're sending uh, this this uh, green hydrogen. Uh, generated gas electricity. Uh, I don't know if I said that right. Uh, down to uh, down to Southern California, and and we're doing some cool stuff with geothermal, and and you know we're doing a lot of really interesting things here. A carbon sequestration um, that that Rocky Mountain Power is participating in in, in a couple of its uh, projects. So it's a, it, I think that we can jump along and 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 really ramp up that effort, but at the same time, 
I think we do need to be cognizant of, of some of the communities that are, are, you know, unfortunately have been and are continuing to be left behind. And if we can, if we can balance that with, with some investment and uh, uh, with, with some, you know, clever proven ways of, of advancing technological improvements and different things to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and whatnot. I think that we'll see uh, short-term and long-term investment, but you know, a lot of things are going to happen without that. We're going to see a lot more electrification of homes. We're going to see a lot more electric electrification of transportation. Um, but if you can incentivize some uh, more good practices in terms of oil and gas extraction and in terms of, of opening up markets for agriculture producers to reduce methane and, and whatnot. There's, there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more we can do. And, and, uh, and, you know, according to the, the UN report uh, that I mentioned that was released just a month or so ago, um, you know, we can't, we can't just wait for it to happen. I mean, we can't be, Oh, the market's going to take care of it in 20 years. It's like, well, you know, 20 years, uh, while a couple of degrees uh, uh, Celsius maybe doesn't seem like a lot, um, it's the it's the it's the 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 much higher than a couple of degrees uh, Celsius temperatures and the much colder temperatures and and the bigger storms and the and the bigger droughts and the less snow and all that stuff and it's like we got to figure it out, man. We got I got I got I got uh, um, some family that 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 would like to live in a in a good robust uh, uh, United States and and I'm sure a lot of people uh, uh, agree with me that we got to we got to figure it out so we can make sure that that our next generations uh, are are able to uh, can thrive and survive in this uh, this kind of new world that we've uh, created. And I think a benefit, especially so many people are reminded of after going through a pretty miserable August in terms of air quality is that, boy, it's not just, you know, benefiting um, future generations and dealing with climate problems that feel really far away. Air quality here, all of these steps that we take um, having cleaner transportation, cleaner sources of electricity, cleaner buildings. Yeah. We will feel that immediately here at home on the Wasatch Front in terms of the air that we breathe. And so, yeah, huge upsides. We're, and we're if we know things getting... are moving that way, we ought to be the leader. We ought to be because yeah. we've, we have a problem here that's so acute. If we can solve that, we have a big product to offer. And, and, and regardless, we're still going to have like crazy Junes like we had this year, like the most ridiculously hot June imaginable. Okay. But, but you know, there are some air quality things. And if we can tackle some more of our local air quality things, that's going to have this commensurate benefit for the most part in terms of, of helping out uh, in, uh, greenhouse gas emission levels. So, I mean, there are some things we can do to be totally selfish about what's going on here in Utah that's going to have some positive impacts uh, across the world in terms of those, those emissions. from Sean. If people want to read the report or any of these other reports that the Utah Foundation has put out, where should they go? They should go to utahfoundation.org and we have a big long report, but I think the executive summary is is probably enough for most people. Or just there's a page that has some key findings on it that you can read too, um, if you don't wanna spend too much time reading this. Uh, and you know, it's pretty interesting stuff. I think it's a relatively, the, the executive sum, summary is a relatively quick read and can, I think learn a lot of stuff uh, pretty quickly. Utah Foundation's churning out this stuff all the time. Uh, you know, one thing we probably need you to come on and talk about this separately is particularly, I think your research on your voter surveys are really fascinating, um, useful. I talk about them all the time the, um, and how voters are prioritizing issues like air quality. Uh, 
Thank you so much for coming on, Sean. I just want to say to anybody who's viewing this that Sean and I actually do look, I think we look fairly different. I don't think we look exactly the same, but especially with my crummy camera, we look pretty similar. It's not showing all the nuances. My, my camera's a little more bushy. His, <laughs> your mustache is bushier than mine. We, we are different people. I know we look fairly similar. We're different, trust me. <laughs> One day we'll do this discussion live and then people will understand. Uh, David, David's got a better hairline than I do. <laughs> uh, Sean, thank you so much for coming on. And again, I'm the host, David Garbett with O2 Utah. If you want to learn more about us and what we're doing, our website is o2utah.org. We're on the socials. Until next time, thank you so much, Sean. Thank you. Thanks so much. Have a great one.